Well, we are in week three of Philippians, and this is uh, something we're going through in team teaching together. Uh, usually, of course, you know uh, I'm up here most weeks, but during the summer, we decided to allow all the pastors to have a chance to uh, teach a little bit in Philippians, so I'll be teaching next week, and then the music man, Mitch Hines, he will get to preach, and so be sure you're here for him. In fact, two of the songs that we sang this morning, he wrote, and so all we need to do is to channel that uh, music energy into a sermon, right? And he'll be great. It's going to be good, and so be sure you're be, uh, to be here. One thing about the book of Philippians, we got these little uh, notebooks, which has the scripture text and also blank lines, or there are actually no lines, blank pages, for you guys to use to jot down notes during your quiet time as you're doing the sermon follow-up questions or the time with your kids. Uh, and this is a good opportunity to keep these together and then in the future, when you go back through the book of Philippians, you pull this out, and all your notes are right there with the scripture text. So we have more of these at the Resource Center, and so make sure you stop by and grab one if you'd like. Uh, they're only like four bucks, and they'll be a helpful to, tool for you. So we're back in Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 19 to, through 26. And just a little background here, again, on Philippians. Paul wrote this book when he was in prison, probably in Rome to the members of this church, which was at Philippi, and he writes to thank them for their support and their prayers and their encouragement, and he writes to them in order to talk to them about having joy, being partners in the gospel, and just their unity. And then he actually sends this letter back by a guy named Epaphroditus, and he sends this back because Epaphroditus had come to Paul and delivered a financial gift. So as we heard Patrick talk about financial support and Charles talk about financial support, here the church of Philippi was helping Paul out during this time, and so he sends Epaphroditus back with the letter after he had delivered the financial gift. So this is a very practical letter, and it's a letter that focuses in on how that we can have joy no matter what's going on. And we saw that in week one, and I identified the fact that knowing who we are in Christ, and it's huge. I know that you know, you, you think, I know I'm a Christian, I know I'm a believer, but the fact of really rooting our identity in Jesus Christ above everything else, every other identity, is not something that even comes natural for believers, because we live in a culture where easy believism is very prevalent, and people accept Jesus, but then go on their life without little interest in Jesus being the Lord of their life. Well, when we come to Jesus, we root our identity in Him, and so it's not natural for us when people say, what do you do for a living? You may say, I'm, you know, a, a, an attorney like uh, the, uh, he joined us today, uh, Spencer. Sorry, Spencer. Uh, Spencer joined. He's an attorney. But more than attorney, he's a Jesus follower. That's his identity, and that's your identity more than anything else that you do. And so we talked about that a lot in week one. Then last week, Roy talked about that Paul was happy because in spite of even his sufferings and his struggles and the adversity he was receiving from those outside the prison, outside the, the church walls even, that this was serving to advance the gospel. And so he was thrilled and he was happy because the gospel was going out even as he was in prison because Jesus was still working and advancing his mission. And in today's text, we're going to see that Paul, as he writes to the, these Christians in Philippi, He's convinced that he's going to be released from prison, but he says, either way, no matter what happens to him, he's still happy. He still has joy because this is a win-win situation for him because it's all about Jesus, and either way, Jesus is being advanced. 
And so that's what we're going to look at today. And so let's pray, and then we'll read this passage and talk about it. God, we thank you so much for your word that gives us just the template for the way that we live our lives, the way that we honor and glorify you, the way that we relate to other people, and just even the very purpose and reason why we exist. And Father, I pray that more and more of my brothers and sisters in Christ are running to your word each day to hear from you, to get to know you, and then shining that light to their community and those who are around them, God. I pray that you'll help us to be disciplined and take action and, and not be passive, but to be eager to meet with you and to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Paul writes back up just a bit, a few words there in verse 18. He says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of Jesus Christ, who is the Holy Spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul believes that he will be delivered from this imprisonment that he is in. Now, Paul doesn't think this is just going to happen automatically for him. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, the Holy Spirit is working for his release. So he believes, he's convinced, he's, he's pretty sure that he's going to be released. But not only does he say the Spirit is working on his behalf, but he says what? He says the prayers of the church at Philippi, these are working. Through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, I just had a pause right there as I was reading and studying this. Because I will honestly tell you, I don't have that sort of confidence in prayer, right? I mean, Paul knows that the prayer makes a difference. I believe so strongly in the sovereignty of God that God fulfills his purposes. His will will happen. No question about it. God is in control. But where sometimes I misunderstand the sovereignty of God and how our prayers work into that, sometimes I'm at a loss. And so my default is, God, you're you're working your thing, so why am I even praying? Sometimes I feel that way. But Paul says their prayers are baked into the sovereign will of God. And so as they pray and as they seek God's will and as they seek uh, deliverance from Paul there in prison, that God uses their prayers in a real way in his life and in his sovereign plan. And here's the thing. We know that prayer is important. Most of us know that prayer is important. But if we're honestly, if we're we're truly honest with ourselves and we look at our lives, our prayer lives are probably pretty dismal, right? Because it's hard. It's difficult to pray. It's very, very hard to still our minds because we're, most of us are doers. We like the action side of things. Like, you know, and we even hear where people say, you know, that the best thing is to, to do, not to pray. Get up and move, right? But you can't discount the power of prayer in that process because we're seeking to know God's will and to follow God's will. And therefore, we learn that and we acknowledge that and we come to that conclusion in prayers oftentimes, as Paul did. Now, it's interesting to note here that Paul wasn't completely convinced and certain about his future and God's plans. Look what he says in verse 20. He says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul says, I'm fairly certain God's leading is that I'm getting out of this situation that that I'm in. But yet he still acknowledges the fact that he may die there in in prison. 
And I think it's really important for us to understand because maybe some of you come from a background or denomination or a way of thinking that is truly, if you, just, if you just have enough faith and you just believe enough, then it's going to happen. And then if it doesn't happen, then you failed, right? You, you didn't quite muster up enough faith in God. Scripture says again and again how important faith is, but it also says that we pray according to the will of God. So prayer is submitting ourselves to the sovereign will of God. And Paul acknowledges that. He says it's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. He's to be honored no matter what happens. If I get out and continue ministry, it's for his glory. And if it's for me to die in, in, as, as a martyr for the gospel, then that's the case, then I'm okay with that as well. God to be glorified regardless. And I think even though this may be kind of a churchy cliche that we've heard something like this before, but it's true. Paul isn't fearful of what the future holds because he knows who holds the future. Paul isn't fearful about what the future holds because he knows who holds the future. And it's easy, it's super easy to say that, to repeat that. Maybe you have something similar plastered on your wall at home. But to believe it is another thing because it's a gift of grace. We know that God's grace has visited us when we give up trying to understand fully why God is doing what he's doing and just simply trust him. When we just get that situation and we're in the middle of this really, really difficult trial or persecution or suffering or sickness or tough marriage, and we're involved in this, it's easy to say, I trust God because he holds the future. But when it comes down to it, it's very difficult. And it's a sign of maturity in the fact that we know that we can't fully understand why this is happening to us. But we simply trust God. And in that, we experience this joy and this peace that's unexplainable. And it doesn't fix the problem, but it gives us perspective, and it gives us peace, and it gives us joy. And so that's why Paul can write in verse 21, for me to live, he says, is Christ, and to die, it's gain. What a perspective. What a peace that Paul has. How can he truly possess that attitude where he says, for me to live, it's Christ, and to die is even better because it's more Christ, right? How can he say that? Here's why. Because Paul is truly in love with Jesus. He's truly in love with Jesus. And for some of you, maybe you're newer to the faith. Maybe for some of you, it's the first time in your life you really got into the Word and you're studying and you're seeing the truths of Scripture. But in the, you really don't get this idea of, like, how can I truly love Jesus? And how can I have this love relationship with Jesus? And that was what Paul was all about. Even though he was facing the potential of death, he's actually thinking about the fact that being with Jesus and how awesome it would be for his faith to truly end in sight and be, I see Jesus here face to face. But he's also thinking about other people as well. He's saying, if I keep on living, it's for Christ. And if I die, it's even better. Now, he is assuring the Philippians that no matter what happens, when they're reading this and they get this letter, he's, he's thinking about them. Don't worry about me. No matter what happens to me, Paul's saying, he's saying things aren't out of control. They haven't gone wrong. He's saying to them, if you hear news of my sudden death, you'll know that, you know what, not only was I ready for it, I'm happy about it. 
What a perspective. To die is gain. I will see Jesus face to face, and that's gain. So for those of you who are hearing this, really cheerful, upbeat, you know, hey, whichever way it goes, I'm fine. And you're thinking, that's just not where I'm at, you know. I'm in the middle of just terrible, terrible things right now. And I don't feel that at all. What's wrong with me, right? Am I not getting it fully? Well, I think it's important for us to look at a, a parallel passage because your emotions or experiences may not resemble Paul at all. And so it's helpful to see Paul from a different angle. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 to, 8 to 9, it'll be on the screen. And let me read it for you. Paul's writing, and this is the same imprisonment. He says, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the providence of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought it would, we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. So here is Paul describing what actually happened before his release. He is later released for a couple years. It looks as though he came to the point where he was convinced then that he was definitely going to die. That he was probably going to die. And he felt, look what it says, crushed and overwhelmed as he endured these hardships of imprisonment and this prospect of death. So while our text in Philippians today does strike a very cheerful, I'm glad this is happening to me type of feeling, Paul doesn't maintain those types of emotion all the time. And we see that in the passage there in Corinthians. But Paul's, Paul's belief, his trust, never wavers. In fact, he says his faith came through these terrible experiences, strengthened. Look, look at verse 9 again there of Corinthians. He says he, he stopped relying on himself and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. All right, so get the perspective here. All right, hear this. He's writing to us in Philippians, to the church at Philippi, and he has this upbeat, man, it's going to be okay, you know, attitude, these emotions. But here he is in Corinthians, and it's, he's striking a, a little different tone. He's showing a little bit different emotions. What does that say? It says a couple things. It says our emotions definitely come and go, right? Sometimes we feel like on top of the world, like we see things, we get hints or little evidences that, God, you're, you're coming through in this situation. I see your hand in this situation. And other times you just feel beat down to the point of the words that Paul said, that to the point of being crushed and overwhelmed. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel just your, your situation just is crushing you and you feel overwhelmed by the situations? And Paul here, is, he's still learning. Look, look. The Apostle Paul is still learning. Look what he says. We learned, we, he says, as a result, we learned to, to stop relying on ourselves. Well, Paul, I thought in Philippians, we already saw you weren't relying on yourself. Well, he's even come to a greater and more full knowledge of God and his sovereign grace and his, and his greatness. And he says, we learned to stop relying on, God, uh, on ourselves and to rely only on God. And so this is a process. And sometimes you're all over the place. 
And sometimes you struggle to bring worship to God. And as I've said before, sometimes your worship is just down here. It's broken. You're crushed. You're in despair. But you're still choosing to worship. And sometimes it's up here on the mountaintop. And you're praising with the loudest voice possible. And you're telling everyone how great life is and how amazing God is. Our emotions come and go. The Spirit gives us the ability to maintain belief and hope with or without the accompanying feelings. Let me say that again. That will be on the screen. The Spirit gives us the ability to maintain belief and hope with or without the accompanying feelings. And I want to give you something extremely practical to help you to have joy even in difficulty. When we get over to chapter 4 of Philippians, we're going to see Paul actually write in command in verse 4 of chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So not only does he command rejoicing, but he says it twice to reinforce it. And I think what what we're getting at here is joy sometimes looks like choosing to rejoice. Joy sometimes looks like choosing and obeying to rejoice. Let's let's walk through this book again, the the background behind this. And we haven't touched on this yet. When Paul first came to Philippi, he met this lady named Lydia. And he uh, talked to her. She came to Christ. Her whole family came to Christ. They began a little church in her house. Well, Paul, to make a long story short, he is out in the city preaching, sharing Christ. He gets himself in some trouble with the mob, the people. They're not too happy about what's going on. And so they take Paul and they throw him into the jail. All right? So Paul is, I said this in week one, like how much percent of his life he actually spent incarcerated. It was, it was amazing the amount of time he's actually spent there. And the passage t- tells us that Paul and his ministry partner Silas, they were stripped, and it says severely beaten in Acts, severely beaten with rod, wooden rods. And then the next they were taken and thrown into the inner dungeon, and they were put in these stocks, their feet were put in stocks. So get the picture here. Paul and Silas doing God's will. God, I'm doing all the stuff you've asked me to do. Why is bad things happening to me? That's not the question they're asking. That's the question we ask most of the time. They're not asking that. So here he is, beaten. Like, think about it, honestly. Think about maybe this, this week you stubbed your toe or you hurt yourself and how bad that was. But think about just being beaten with a, with a rod on Friday. Chances are most of us be like, oh, you know, I'm not going to church. I'm in too much pain to sit in those seats. You know, plus the air conditioner is too cold anyway. And so it's, it's very uncomfortable. And, 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 and so I, we'll just watch from home today, all right? And, and, and that's our mindset. Really, it is, isn't it? Like our comfort is like paramount for everything. And Paul here, he's beaten, he's bruised, he's naked, he's in stocks. What happens next? Verse 25 of Acts 16, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. This didn't come natural for Paul. He had to choose to do this. Silas had to choose to do this. They were rejoicing. I can promise you their emotion was not like, hey, can you come and do that again? That felt so great. All right, do it again. All right, no, they, they were miserable. They were hurting. They were isolated. 
So joy sometimes looks like choosing to rejoice. We believe that God's will is our highest joy, and we choose to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Just rejoice. So we encounter persecution, hardship, challenges, personality clashes, difficult marriages, etc. These things hurt. They're tough. They're difficult. But we tend to complain and lose sight of all that we have in Jesus Christ. Rather than obeying the command to rejoice in the Lord always. And when we do that, in some way, and it may be very, very small, but in some way when we choose to rejoice in the Lord always, it releases joy. It releases joy. So I'm going to encourage you. This is not denial of your feelings or emotions and what you're going through. It's not belittling or trying to be in denial of how hard your situation is. It's just saying that we're commanded to rejoice. And so we move forward and we move our focus upon Jesus. And that looks like gratitude. God, I want to thank you for the many blessings that you have given me, even though right now this situation's hard. It's allowing the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, Colossians 3.16. Just, I'm going to just continue to preach the gospel to myself. I'm going to recite scripture and then like Paul, I'm, I'm, I'm singing in my heart, I'm singing out loud, I'm praying, I'm singing in community, I'm praying in community. Basically, it's, it's choosing to not allow your emotions to control your worship. But it's being proactive and saying, I'm going to rejoice, even though it doesn't feel very good. So our joy will not be perfect in this life, for sure. And we'll always strain and struggle. We're going to have periods of distress, depression, and anxiety. We're going to have these ups and downs. But rejoicing is a choice that we make. Why? Because we live by faith, not by sight. Plain and simple. Scripture says, walk by faith, live by faith, not by sight. So it's trusting in the superior plan of God, in the sovereignty of God, and the fact that he honors the fact that I'm seeking him in prayer, saying, God, I want my wife to get what I'm getting here. I want my child to follow you. God, and I'm praying for them. I'm seeking them. On their behalf, I'm praying for their, for, their, for their good and your glory in this situation. I want them to come back. But God, I'm trusting you. I know you're working. That's what it looks like. So it's not about denial. It's about trusting. And so Paul says, for me to live is Christ." To die is gain. He's able to say, this life is about Jesus. And all these hard things that are coming at me, that I'm tempted to run away and escape, he says, I'm running to Jesus instead. So, pause for a second. What are you, what are you running to to fill that void when you're not that happy? What are you going and trying to fill up on that is not Jesus? Think about that. Because life will let you down, and it, it, these things will disappoint you. They never come through, these false gods, these counterfeit gods. One year I went to Disney, many, many, many years ago. I went to Disney World, and the greatest place, like the, the, the what is it, what's her, what's her tag? The happiest place on earth. All right, yeah, okay. Um, and uh, we went there, and, you know, it was one of my first times, if not my first time of going and we went and we got on the uh, It's a Small World After All ride, you know what I'm talking about? 
And, you know, had I, like, put up, if Instagram and Facebook were around at that point, if I put up a picture of us going through, it's a small world after all, you know, all of us smiling and just looking and, you know, like, kind of like this picture here, you know, just kind of like we're, we're just, like, in this moment and everybody's looking like, oh, man, they're having so much fun. This is amazing. This is so cool that they're there. Man, I, I envy them. I want that life. I want to be there. You know, my life's terrible. Their, their life's so perfect. What the things we do when we look at social media, right? But yet... What the picture would not have depicted was the fact that if you've ever gone through this 12-minute ride, you've been there, huh? Connor knows what I'm talking about. It sings the same song over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. I might sing that for you in a minute, all right? It sings it over and over again. Well, all right, so I can endure 12 minutes of that, all right? But something happened with the ride, and we were stuck in the ride for 40 Five minutes. And they didn't stop the music for us. It just kept playing again and again. It's a small world after all. It's a small, you know, again and again and again. Look, it wasn't an Instagrammable moment at all, right? But it looked like it, but it wasn't. And that's what happens when we put counterfeit gods and seek functional saviors in our life. That we think these things are going to actually deliver, but mark my words, the things that we ask to bring us contentment and joy will fail to deliver. They will. They'll fail to deliver. And you'll look for the next mountaintop experience, the next trip, the next getaway, the next payday, the next drink, whatever it is you're plugging in there to fill that void, and it won't deliver for you. It won't deliver. So the next time you're tempted to run to your functional Savior, I hope you hear it's a small world after all, again and again in your head, all right? Verse 22 and 23, Paul says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet I shall, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. What is he talking about? Living or dying? Ministering or seeing Jesus? My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. So he says, seeing Jesus face to face would be far better than anything that he could imagine. He longs to see Jesus. But look what he says. He says, but I'm here for your account. God, I feel like God is leading me to be here and stay here. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to die right now because I'm here for your account. Let me ask you a question. If you just disappeared, like you never came back to Grace Church again, and never saw any of the people in this room again, who would miss your spiritual discipleship? Who are you building into in small ways or big ways that if you were gone, they would say, man, it's going to be different here without Joe. Man, he, he was just such an encourager, such a blessing. He, he really was praying for me when he said he prayed for me. He was taking time to invest in my life. He's gone, and it's, it's going to, somebody else is going to have to step in that void because he was making a difference. He was wanting to make and build. Look what Paul says. I want to remain in the flesh. It's more necessary on your account. They're making a difference in your life. So Paul is all about being that conduit we talked about week one, to just flow and allow Jesus to flow through him. Verse 25 Convinced of this, he says, I know that I will remain and continue with 
you all. Here's why. For your progress and joy in the faith. Paul is just going to keep pouring into others so he can see their progress. He wants to see their progress. He wants to see them grow. That's, that's his goal in life, to see Jesus in their face. And that's how Jesus makes his invisible presence known to those around us. We're the touch of his hand. We're the tone of his voice. We're the hug that he's not here physically to give. We're the body of Christ. Think about it. We're the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ. As DJ said in the video, we are the church. And so it shouldn't just be this few spiritual elites, so to speak, who are building into others. All of us are called to be disciple-making disciples who are making a difference and building into other people's lives. So it's easy to check out and be like, yeah, that's good, but who? I'm asking, I'm asking you right now, think in your mind, who, who is it you're building into? Or is your life full of functional saviors, but you got church attendance and you check it off, I've done my duty for the week, and that's the extent of it. I, I said hi to somebody. I went to lunch with somebody, but you're not really building into somebody. You're not building into their account, putting in more to that side of the ledger to build into others. So Jesus makes his invisible presence visible through you. And so Paul wanted to see Christ formed in them for their progress and joy in the faith. So again, it's it's a win-win situation for Paul. I'm either going to see Jesus face-to-face because I'm going to die, or I'm going to continue ministry and working, and I'm going to see more of Jesus' face in you because you're going to be more of the touch of his hand, the tone of his voice. You're going to be more of the witness that he's called you to be. And so I'm seeing Jesus more in Jerry. And so I'm seeing Jesus more. I'm seeing Jesus regardless. I'm seeing it through my ministry and pouring out, or my life has gone even better. I see Jesus face to face. What if that was our perspective? What if that truly was our perspective, that we're just a conduit to let the love of Jesus and the truth of Jesus just to flow through us out to other people? And here's why Paul did it. So that in me, verse 26, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. That's God's goal for his children. That we go and we minister for his glory. To see, look what he says, because of my coming to you. That's really arrogant, Paul, that you would say that. But he realized that he was working so hard to disciple and to bring joy to the congregation there in Philippi and many others, that he could say that. That his coming, his work to help them make progress and have more joy is for God's glory. So who is it? Who are you building into intentionally? Who are you pouring your life into? So if that's going to happen, the big takeaway has to be it's all about Jesus. As Charles said this morning, it's all about Jesus. My life is for you, Jesus. And my life may look very similar from the outside. I continue to do the things that I do and go the places I do go and maybe just participate in a lot of the things I still participate in. There may be some changes there for sure. But I begin to see I'm representing Christ, and I have that vision to see, God, what are you doing around me? 
And I want to join you in that. I want to make a difference. I want, the, I want to build into this person for their progress and for their joy. And then the heart application is a great quote by a guy named Paul Totkus. He says, emotions are not neutral or amoral. They are either godly or ungodly, self-centered or God-centered. If you're struggling with your emotions and you're angry with God, you're mad at the world, you're complaining constantly to God, why you, why me, why me? Make it all about Jesus and choose to rejoice. That's a hands application. Just choose to rejoice. Grab some brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't do this alone. You need help. Sometimes we need the Silas there to lift us up and help us give praise to God in those moments. It's all about Jesus. Don't trust your emotions. Obey. Rejoice. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word that truly, honestly gives us perspective on life. And God, I pray that Today, there will be a few people in here who are really convicted by the fact that their lives are not really making a difference in others for your glory. They're not working for anyone's progress and joy in any intentional way. And God, I pray that will change. They will begin to work for the good of others and take their eyes off themselves, knowing that it's a win-win. They'll see you, Jesus, one day face-to-face, and they desire to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or they they can see Jesus in the face of those around them by building into them, and it will make us more eager to see you face to face because we know imperfectly we'll represent you on this earth, but one day we'll see you. And what an amazing time that'll be and a day that'll be. And God, I pray you'll encourage us. Thank you for the Lennox family being here. God, I thank you for uh, their ministry, and I pray you'll encourage them in this pastor's retreat. God, thank you for our church being an encouragement to them, and may you just give them a greater joy as a result of their ministry and result of this training. In, this, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.